I never met a man who played the trombone and had a pension. Just saying. <laughs> Console Crusade Podcast. You see? Everything happens for a reason. We're here. We're doing it. DJ Olsen. Nick Durheim. Yeah. Chris Gilly for Yeah, yeah. You know, intros are supposed to be one of those things where like people who are listening for the first time early on, they're like, okay, I'm associating names with voices, and we're just like, ah, Gene Simmons voice. Bren Allen. Brennan, do you like Bren? I say Bren because, you know, you're my boo, but Oh, uh, you know, I love it all, baby. Oh man. So we're here for not quite quarterly league check-in, fantasy critic league 2023. It's been kind of a year so far, so we're jumping the gun on the quarterly check-in, which, you know, is okay. We're going to talk some shit. We're going to do it, and then we're going to do Last of Us, uh, episode eight. Penultimate episode. It's been a crazy year, guys. Three months in, and in three years, never have we seen such such action. I am so glad that we brought Brennan on this. Today, I was just thinking how interesting it is to see a newcomer try to figure this game out out as we're all you know well maybe not nick but chris and i evolving our strategies nick is just consistently great you know but as we're trying to evolve and brent's trying to figure it out it's a very interesting dynamic it's been active as hell every week there's bids it's been crazy so nick if you want to kick us off and then we can just get into what we've done what we've missed out on our regrets i'm sure some of us have a few of those i don't know brent sure (laughs) (laughs) well just top level i think like you said We've had the most action this early on in the league. Everyone is bidding really competitively, which has bit some of us in the ass, perhaps. And yeah, having a fourth person has really uh, injected some diversity into our pickups, like going more for like the mainstream, like regular, like AAA kind of things that we have previously sort of steered clear of, mostly because of our personal biases and not being interested in those games. And like personally, but actually going for them because they're likely to score pretty well, which we've missed out on plenty of great bankers in the previous two years we've done this. But really quickly, just basing off of numbers, uh, we're capping at 19 games for each of our our teams, I guess you would call it. I don't know, our roster. And that means 76 games for the four of us. And we're already at 60 picks. And that's barring <laughs> so any more drops. <laughs> EJ's already used a drop, Brennan's already used a drop. And, but yeah, that's a lot of games that we've already picked up in two months in. I mean, we're like a week into March, but like that's two months in. Uh, of those 60 games, 16 have already released. Uh, EJ's had the most releases. He had a very strong February, strong January as well. And right off the gate, we're looking really good with our score averages in the 80s. All of us are above 80. We're all above board. Um, the funny thing, though, is that my, my point spread is abominable, where my highest scoring game is a 94 and my lowest scoring game is a 68. <laughs> so it's not all, you know, consistency. Both uh, EJ and Chris have remarkable consistency of a 6.1, 6.9 point spread right there of your games. Chris only with three releases, though. EJ is just nailing it each and every time, EJ's which is terrifying. It. <laughs> it's the goddamn worst. Well, it's going to run out. 
But also, Chris is full up. <laughs> he has all 19 of his games. That's psycho shit. <laughs> it's it's funny. insanity. You want to talk about insanity, EJ? Let's talk about your recent pickups. Let's talk about your fucking recent pickups. Jigstradamus over here drafting two fucking games from a brand new studio and expect for, for more than $10 and telling me those are smart pickups. You are shooting bullets in the dark, my friend. How many dollars did you bid on Disney Illusion Island? And one of your four other recent pickups. Okay. The only other game they've ever published is a 68 average on Open Critic. What fucking crystal ball are you looking into? It's lying to you, mate. I'll defend myself readily here in a few moments but tell us how you came to be a full roster in uh uh two months into the league so i made uh well i mean i waited for a little bit before i talked about it but um i know that i have a propensity in past leagues uh to draft some real fucking albatrosses so unless it's something that i feel really good about i was like you know what i know that there are two people in this league who've who've done this league before who have, by their own admission, put a lot of research into researching these games. And I went, I am just going to be the man in the bell tower with a sniper rifle, picking those bids off one at a time after I get a chance to look into them, take the temperature of how I feel they're going to do. And that has been very fruitful for me. Um, I don't... I am not afraid of having to use a drop if I need it for two primary reasons. Number one, uh, Nick and EJ, your counterplick slots are full. And so if I've got something on there that I'm looking like, you know, this isn't looking too great. Uh, there's some, there's some scuttlebutt. They release a, a, a gameplay footage video and it looks like, Oh no, this is going to be a lemon. I have all my drops available to me. Haven't used one. And I also have my super drop. If I need it, uh, I'm sitting on just about $20 cash, $19. If something irresistible comes up, a little bit down the line, I could uh, bid with a conditional drop and still feel like I'd be able to uh, make a good pickup. What have you What have you picked up? And, and give us a thought process on some of these. Bomber Cyber Funk. I don't know if I've uh, if, if we've talked about this on Pod before, but this is the spiritual successor to the Jet Set Radio series, which, as listeners to this podcast know, uh, was included on our top 100 games list for its. Aesthetic uniqueness, uh, just an uh, unimpeachably S-tier soundtrack. Uh, it kind of sits in a niche that like nothing else does and did it very, very well. It's very high Metacritic scores, um, those two games. And it's a lot of the original developers and uh, the guy who wrote the soundtrack for both of those games. So to me, I'm like, Summer 23, I'm willing to, I'm willing to pick that up. I think I maybe paid like six or seven bucks for it. I'm willing to pick that up. I think that that, uh, that will be a points earner for me if it releases. And if not... I've got my super drop if I really need that slot. Um, Pepper Grinder, similar reasons, just a fantastic developer. Another one that I went, I'm going to bid low on this. And if I need to drop it, I'll drop it. I noticed that no one has counterpicked it because you know that if it comes out, you're going to take an absolute bath on it. And I don't blame you well, for that. Of course, of course. And this, this was the first of several games, some of which have been bid on, some of which have ended up on my roster, some of which I will not reveal in this podcast, but Games without release dates that I felt very confidently that if it gets a date, it is going to do very well. And I was disappointed to see like the first week of bids, this was getting bid on and I had to jump in. And uh, this is where I learned very quickly that bids are going to be much more competitive this year. And I was not going to pick up Pepper Grinder for three bucks. It is a crazy economy this year in the league with four of us. And I think that having that little bit of extra like chaos energy in the form of you, Bryn, um, 
has been really good for us. <laughs> like we have had to earn it. Like there have been no, everybody's active. Nobody is going to be like, oh, I forgot to do my bids this week. We are fucking on it. We are looking, if not early in the week, every Thursday to see what's there and checking every Saturday night to see what games we picked up. I'll, I'll blaze through these a little bit faster. Um, Master Detective's Raincoat, I absolutely, absolutely bid on only because Nick bought it in the group chat league. Um, <laughs> Nick Stradamus, as he rightfully should be called, uh, has had his finger on the pulse for, for two years running and lost a competitive race to EJ the first season of uh, Console Crusade Podcast League. Um, so if he likes it, I like it. Uh, season Letter to the Future, 77 on that. Uh, I wanted to average a point per dollar, and I'm at like minus two bucks on that. It was a point earner for me, though, with a 77. I don't love that. I, I It had gotten a lot of good... A lot of good things had been written about that coming out of some of the smaller developer uh, conferences and thought that it would do a little bit better than that. But I was still glad to see it be a solid point getter for me. I tried to counterpick that. And for some reason, reviews started dropping for this game like 12 days early. Mm. That's extremely unusual, especially for an indie game like that. So I was disappointed that I, I missed out on the counterpick because of that. It would have been a good counterpick. Um, like you would have lost points, but honestly, there's been so many fucking good games that we've all drafted that I'm sitting here like, man, I really gotta be gotta be wise about the things that I that I counterpick because y'all are not really picking stuff up without release dates. So I can't take any quote unquote easies in that regard. Um uh, moving on, Advance Wars 1 and 2 Reboot Camp. I mean, this is a game that a lot of people wanted to draft last year when it was originally announced that there was some uh sore feelings. Uh, in the league when it did not release uh, ostensibly because of Russia's invasion of the Ukraine. Uh, but Nintendo decided, well, war's still going on. We don't care anymore. We're going to release it. Third year in a row, we're picking it up. <laughs> is that's wild, yeah. right? Like what a time for gaming that we can say that, that we're, that they were like, this is a great pickup in 2020. This is a great pickup in 2021 or 2021, 2022. And it's a great, still a great pickup in 2023. Advanced Wars and Hollow Knight Silksong being, the only two games that have been drafted every single year in this league. Wow. So goddamn ridiculous. Yeah, and I I, uh, I tried doing an early bid because I, I didn't know that there was going to be a direct the week that it got announced. I just, I saw all those, uh, you know, those leaks from GameStop and stuff that they were getting standees and that they were, you know, it was getting re-entered in pre-order backs, like the systems and stuff. So I, I put that $3 in like the Sunday or the Monday before that direct was even announced. And then you guys both got in with your $7 and tied on it, but Chris bid on it first. So that was the tiebreaker there. Second that direct was over, I went in and bid on Advance Wars. I was like, I have to have this. I think that's an easy 80 just based on how well the first the, the games did originally. And everybody's craving some Advance Wars. A lot of nostalgia for that for that series. Yeah, Josh loved these games. My brother, Josh. Um, couple pickups that were uh, promptly counterpicked. Um those being uh, Disney Illusion Island and the uh, Bayonetta spinoff. I'm not even going to bother to read this full name. I don't feel great about Bayonetta. <laughs> Why did you get Disney Illusion Island? I want to know what drew you to that. I got Disney Illusion Island because it looks like a good ass platformer. I don't know what to tell you. Like it looks like it works well mechanically. It's beautiful. It looks like it runs really smoothly. I don't know what to tell you. Like if it's if it's a good game, it's a good game. And if it plays well, it plays well. And Four like four player co-op. I don't know. I don't know. I just it looks like a solid platformer. Hard to fuck up a platformer, I guess, is the bottom line. Yeah. I mean, it just in a in a league that has so many above 80s, it seems like a 75 
and like it'll be good to find but i don't know if that's going to be blo- like blowing reviewers socks off i think bayonetta is actually a poor counter uh, i know bren got that counter pick uh i do think that it's previewing pretty positively and i don't know if it's just uh our biases towards the art style or the, the stupid concept of it but bayonetta reviews higher than it probably should i mean bayonetta 3 last year everyone like took a big fat dump on it but then gave it an 88 or whatever it was like it's also not a bayonetta game it's coming out so soon it just this screams to me like underdeveloped money grab on the back of a successful game in bayonetta 3 bren correct me if i'm wrong but i feel like you picked this up because i've talked so much shit about it i mean that's something that i'm going to be talking about like ej being the worm tongue in your ear <laughs> yeah dude <laughs> like we'll, we'll get there we'll get there i don't want to take up more of chris's time at the moment but yeah i've got some things to say about that you're too kind <laughs> look to be honest i feel completely opposite to you nick but now i'm feeling better about the bayonetta pickup because of all those things you just said that i was sort of like i don't know about this the further away from that bid i got but i feel i feel better about dizzy i do i do i just do maybe i'm wrong and uh, i'm not gonna sit here and tell you that's an 85 i'm not gonna do that i'm just gonna tell you it looks good to me and that's 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 what i'm basically on um then we get into some some interesting uh acquisitions and i would like to I'd like to unpack these a little bit for the benefit of the public and say a lot of stuff to y'all that i've already said to ej in the group chat which has been getting which has been, had been getting contentious enough for a couple of days that i was sort of like i need to take a little bit of a step back because this actually is like this is like a little a little more spicy than i would love for a fucking video game fantasy league that's on me my bad <laughs> no I, but, but i met you head fucking on and i keep trolling you and baiting you and trying to like get you to get all pissed off playing joe cool over here but i'm like you know <laughs> We're getting like a little acrimonious. <laughs> no one's mother was insulted or anything, but I was just like, oh, man. So EJ, uh, after he caught wise uh, to my strat of just trying to snake bids out from under him, uh, said he he's like, ha, huh, Chris, after a bidding cycle, you 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 bit all of my bait one dollar cha- uh, uh, chaff bids with games that are not going to do well. And you totally fell for that. And I'm like, OK. Let's look at those Age of Wonders 4 and Fuga Melodies of Steel 2. When I saw them in the league, I went, okay. Uh, and you had other games for bid that week that I looked at and did not decide to bid on. Uh, and I these are the two that I chose because I went and I looked. I was like, okay, Age of Wonders 4. Been three fucking previous games in the franchise. Let's, let's look those up. All over 80 on Open Critic. Fuga Melodies of Steel 1, 81% on Open Critic. These are good pickups. These are good pickups. So I was like, I'm sorry. I'm calling absolute bullshit on this idea that you were trying to bait me with a $1 bid. To what end, sir? Like, these are good. These games could be good. Fuga is the only game I bid $1 on because I I know your strategy. And I'm like, all right, this is total Chris fodder. And if I can distract him with the shiny Japanese thing, I might get some of my other picks. Well, no, Nick snaked two of them. You snaked Age of Wonders for me. Uh, which I bid <laughs> six times on that I did Fuga. And I said this in the group chat, but I said, are you watching these trailers and doing research or just looking at the score of the previous game? Because the Fuga 2 trailer made me literally laugh out loud. And I know a good game can have a bad trailer, but I just thought it's coming out so soon after the first one. This trailer is awful. Wasn't the first one uh, 2020? Uh, either 2020 or 2021. I think it was 2020. That's not soon for a, a 2D animal children war rpg you know right, well might have been 21 but that seems like a, a game that you turn around a sequel pretty quick sure yeah. maybe that was my bait bid i feel good i like where i'm sitting 
I, I've identified some games that I feel pretty good about a counter pick on, which is great. Uh, and the El- unannounced Elden Ring DLC now has a name. Uh, it's definitely not coming out this year, but we've already made a gentleman's agreement. We're not counter picking unannounced game bids. Uh, if it does come out, ha-cha, that's going to be towards the end of the year. And that could potentially be a difference maker late game if I'm trailing by a handful of points, because that thing is going to review very well. Bren, you don't have nearly as many pickups as Chris. Seven no. fewer. But you've had a busy couple of months in the league here. I'm assuming a lot of sleepless nights based on your input into the group chat and our conversations. You, you've had some interesting drops. Where are you at? How are you feeling? Give us a, give us a rundown. <laughs> uh, you know, it's kind of like when you're waking up like after one of my like four hour naps and you're just like, what the fuck is going on? This is kind of like how I feel. It's just like, <laughs> uh, it, I mean, I think, I think EJ hyped me up a little bit too much. Like coming in, he's like, dude, you play video games. You play the most video games that I know. And it's, true. it's, it's accurate. I'm like, yeah, yeah. But then it's so like, especially the last couple of weeks, what this month, you know, atomic heart just being the absolute boner that it turned out to be, which is very disappointing. I was with you on that game, dude. I thought it looked sick. Same, same. You play that, right? I tried to. Yeah, I tried to play it. Oh, I no. was super stoked. Yeah, and I will give them a lot of credit because the game runs fantastic. It is a beautiful game. They had so much going for it, and I think like just because they had been MIA for the last couple of years that they did all this rewriting and trying to add this script and if they just would have toned it down, made it more of like a like a tone piece kind of game. Like Bioshock? Yeah, exactly. Instead of trying to make whatever abomination it turned out to be. Like action movie camp. So much potential wasted. Can I make a Portland Trailblazers joke on pod really quick? Yes, please. So if Bren, Bren, if you play a ton of video games and you're very good at playing video games, but you were bad at managing a video game league. Does that make you the Chauncey Billups of this league? Oh my God. <laughs> I thought we were going to get a Neil O'Shea joke. Ooh, I'm glad you went easy. I, on I, I, I did think that you were going <laughs> to. I yeah. did not go easy on him. Chauncey's a, Chauncey's a worse coach than Neil is a GM. And that is saying a lot. <laughs> Let the man live. But you know, Chauncey might be a good coach in a couple years. Who knows? No, he's okay. not. Let's, no, he's let's dial not. that back. Let's dial that back. Brent, Atomic Heart, has the lone distinction of being the worst reviewed game anyone has ever drafted in the console crusade fantasy league across mm. three years drafted, not picked up drafted right. games with a 74. So, you know, that's not ideal, but, but listen, you started off strong. Dead space remake came in at a 90, a 90 initially banger. I was like, this guy's going to run away with the fucking league. Like with the sleeper pick of January. Well, I mean, you know, I wanted to take Resident Evil 4, and that's going to be a 95. You think? Oh, yeah. Dude, you... Okay. With a, like, like right. ni- 92 at the lowest. Well, what have we wow. learned from the Metroid Prime remaster is that if you remaster a game that's an A plus 10 out of 10, the remaster is going to be an A plus 10 out of 10. We had this debate when we did the draft, and we went through the history of, of remakes and remasters, and more of them were duds than otherwise. And... I mean, there's something to be said about the Metroid remaster was not a lazy port. It was a beautiful and faithful revisiting of that game, as was Dead Space. It's just hard to get your finger on what those games are going to do. So, you know, good for you, Bren. 
a little context uh re2 the remake that came out a few years ago is a 92 on open critic and that is a remake of a game that is held in not quite as high regard as resident evil 4 so i think there's a good chance that 92 is the floor i think there's still like ways that they could biff it but it's gonna review super high yeah poor brian settling for the 89 (laughs) i destiny 2 was my that was my first pickup (laughs) <laughs> and it was like it was my I saw everybody else bidding on things and I was like, oh, fuck, I need I, I need to do something. And so I kind of like panicked, panic bid. You, you got the Chris's, dude. It happens. You I did. Understand. You got the fucking Chris's. <laughs> Me in 2021 where I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Oh, I got to buy some games. And it was not good. But honestly, I mean, you're I know you're like molding at this, but it's sitting at a 78 right now. It's not doing that badly. I know EJ kind of gets in your head about like the reviews in progress and that kind of stuff, but until it's actually written down, until it's submitted to Open Critic, it doesn't really matter. The the one thing that I want so badly is Terranil to do like an 82 and EJ just being like <laughs> losing his grip. A mobile game! It's a mobile game! It <laughs> <laughs> was flawless. Okay, <laughs> Terra Nil is a fucking mobile game, dude. And that was, <laughs> what are you doing? Nobody even put a dollar on that game. You were alone. <laughs> no, I put a dollar on that game. Oh, God. <laughs> okay, here's the thing about Destiny, dude. I know I love giving you shit because that's just part of the game. You got to get in your opponent's heads, man. You got to make them feel like nothing they decide is is correct. The little voice in their ear, which is me screaming at them, and they think, no, don't make that decision because it's the wrong one. Uh. Because Destiny has such a wide range. Like, the lowest scoring Destiny 2 expansion is a 56. Yeah. The highest scoring one is an 88. And the average is like 72, I think, but across all the expansions, which is not ideal. So I just was like, you know, that's ballsy. I think I gave shit to Chris on the podcast. I'm like, this motherfucker trying to... Bet on that game. He's like, it's not me. It turns out it was both of you. <laughs> so, oh, in my defense, and I said this in the podcast league, I was so fucking crossfaded when I went to go bid on this game. And <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, I was very sober. And the more. <laughs> Uh, no excuse. No. But the morning, the morning after I woke up and said, what the fuck did I just do? And I went back and revised my bid to $1 guaranteeing I would lose the bid. Cause okay. I was like, I can't, I okay. cannot be saddled with that potential <laughs> shit. Sack. Uh, Can you imagine if you had bid $1 and then Brennan also bid $1, but then you got the default victory by just having <laughs> bid on it first. How hilarious would that have been? I did not bid uh, on that game not. first. Uh, Bren, you also took, Last case of Benedict Fox for me. I also try to get that. Yeah. I've lost, what, how many eight bids this year? You bid on that how first, you, dude. How do you feel about that, EJ? How do you feel about getting outbid on eight fucking games? You know, two of which were ties. See, that hurts. That <laughs> hurts. The ties. I, I said in the group chat that I don't bid reactively. I may have on Pepper Grinder because that was the top of my watch list. But I am bidding on things as I see fit, not reactively the way Chris has mostly and so it feels really bad to lose on a tie, knowing that someone got ahead of you on it. Uh, and it's like, what are those fucking odds? But, you know, it is what it is. I, I'm still trying to figure out the economy this year. Chris, you're going buck wild. You spent $80. I have nine slots to fill. I can't bid $21 on every game. Like, I have to take my lumps and and be selective. And, you know, I finally won a couple of games this week. But, okay, Brennan, before we move on to Nick here, 
I keep joking that, yo, Jigstradamus, I've been within like a point or two points of all my predictions this year. I guess the money line on Horizon, dead on. I took, you know, the over, which was silly, but I'm, I'm right in the range. So Jigstradamus, you know, it, it's a good bit. Dude, I defended Suicide Squad on this podcast with you and without you. Like, I <laughs> I thought it was going to be a good game. It still can be. It's not out yet. Don't count these eggs before they hatch. Oh, well, come on. It's showing poorly, though. Come on. <laughs> Well, and to be fair, like I was going based on Rocksteady's history, having played all of their games, loving the studio. And then I see it and, and I saw everything that you guys saw. And I immediately was like, well, fuck. <laughs> okay, so what? you're at work that day and, and they do the showcase. They show 10 minutes from, from this game. <laughs> what yeah. did you see? I saw nothing good. I saw nothing good. <laughs> I, Dark times. I mean, it's like. I don't even know how to describe the gameplay other than it's just a bad shooter with like maybe some cool mobility mechanics. The thing I saw it likened to is a mixture between Crackdown and Anthem. Oh, no. And I think the scores are going to be in that range. Oh, you never want to be compared to Anthem. Unless it's I won the lottery and they paid me as much money as the studio who got paid for creating Anthem. That's the only time you want Anthem in, in a sentence next to your name. Yeah. Rough. Helicopters had glowing weak points. Suicide Squad might come in. You you might set the record twice in one year. That would be pretty impressive. Oh, no. I mean, Tara Neal, you might go three for three. You might just go <laughs> rip three straight, dude. I guarantee you Tara Neal is not going to review what, what you're thinking is going to review us. Bren, if you beat Chris and Nick, I beat Chris and Nick. All right? <laughs> just seeing them fall, Chris's ego and, and Nick... Literally having won the league by a million points last year. So I'm not not rooting for you, buddy. You know? I'm going to need you to pick it up. And I said to you, back when, when Lightfall was like literally getting like fours and fives from these random outlets and like reviews in progress were just killing it. And the reaction online was so bad. I texted you and I said, if Lightfall scores in the fucking 60s and you outbid Chris for that game... I'm going to lose my bananas. EJ, I am so I'm so concerned about you, but I love that we live in your head rent free. And also, I have a sociopathic level of self-confidence. Losing in this league is not going to damage my ego. I hate to break it to you. I don't want you to suffer, Chris. I just want you to lose. All right? <laughs> There's a big difference. I don't need you carrying this into into 2024. As Ant-Man said, to Kang the Conqueror. I don't have to win. We just both have to lose. I think that summarizes your philosophy there pretty astutely. As Paul Rudd once said, no, I'm Ant-Man. So suck on those eggs. Nick, I know you don't like getting fluffed up, dude. But every time, listen, Blanc aside, everybody gets everybody gets the indie dud because indies are impossible to predict. Yep, it's true. But you're, I mean, you're doing better than everybody. You got 30 points on your unannounced slot. No one else is getting points on that slot. You're, you're one slot ahead of everybody. And going by point average, that's like two and a half slots ahead of everybody. It's disgusting. I can't count on that slot being the only like slot advantage that I have for the rest of the year, though. I'm not going to rely on that. I'm not going to be slipping because of that. I'm not going to feel confident because of that. I'm happy. I'm happy that it came out. It's been rumored for so long. For years now. I could have drafted this in 21 and it would have been like, well, it's kind of crazy, but you know, it might happen. 
I think the crazy thing is just that it happened so early in the year. Like I, I was for sure was like, seriously, this is like, coming out in, in the holidays. And I finished my first playthrough today, uh, by the by fucking fantastic remake. I can't wait to talk about this when your copy gets here, EJ Thursday. Yeah. Four weeks later, pick that up and just, uh, right off the bat 94, you know, and it's been sitting, it's, it went from, uh, it went up from a 94.6 to a 94.7 in the past like few days. So Absurd. I'm keeping track. I'm keeping tally on this stuff and it's not wow. going down. Which is crazy, you know, like it's just a bunch of these legacy graybeards that are re-reviewing this game from the GameCube and I'm reaping the benefits. Super tight. Insanity. Yeah, Dead Cells, obviously their expansions have been just super consistent. High 80s every time. Hogwarts Legacy, I know that game was highly counterpicked because it is sort of, it's kind of a stretch that a studio that is known for doing what the Disney, what was the Skylanders and then the cars three driven to win game. Like they're just like doing like weird license games. And now they're doing this big triple a third person action RPG and people liked it despite all the controversy. It was a good game. Yeah. Leaf still has negative points in the group chat league from counterpicking Hogwarts legacy and just taking a fucking bath. And I counterpick Kirby. So, you know, we all, we all make these mistakes. Kirby. I don't know. Whatever. Again, can't bet for, can't bet against the pink puff ball. It's risky. But yeah, then I took a bath on Blanc, but I mean, if that's my worst performing game of the year, then that's fine. That's fine. The funny thing, wait, so I lost, what, 1.8 points on Blanc, and then I lost 3.8 on Atomic Heart. So I'm doing okay on Counterpicks. I'm that's doing great. okay in that realm. Mm-hmm. Sure. I'm only really worried about Kerbal actually getting released. I think that's the only one that I have, uh, I'm like, concerned about because it's previewing okay like the people who like it really like it the people who don't are just mad that it's not exactly the same as the first game so i don't know how that really nets out as far as reviews that's hard to sort of gauge from there extrapolate um, other pickups i mean i got the forza expansion i knew ej was bidding on that so i had to bid high just to rub it in his face great pickup <laughs> i mean it's going to be like an 84 85 like that's in that realm it's not in the realm of like the actual game, like the actual Forza game that comes out this year is going to review better, which I think EJ, I think you have that. Correct. So the horizon expansion will do well and it's good that it's coming out before the, the mainline entry comes out though. I don't know. I mean, people have been sort of high on horizon. I don't know how well the actual more semi kind of race game will do. Horizon has always done better than, than mainline games. So for whatever that's worth, we'll see how that affects their development strategy on the new game. Um, and then, yeah, uh, I got Atelier Ryza anime game, weeb game. I think I even got the last one in, in one of the leagues and it did well. So I'm not like surprised that I think that one's going to do well too. And then endless dungeon, I outbid EJ on, which I don't know if I picked it up before or after, probably after that was probably reaction. So, I mean, I've been super active in the bids, but I'm like bidding what I think is like a fair price. And if I don't get it, then it's like no skin off my back. That's kind of been my reactive sort of stance on it. Like if I win this bid at $8 and I think that's a good price on it, if I lose it, then I lose it. You know, no big deal. I'm not going to have eBay buyer's remorse on these auctions. And uh, yeah, that's just how I'm sort of approaching it. I've been trying to figure out this economy like we've talked about. And, you know, early on I started, like I I bid $3 on Pepper Grinder. But like I've been competitive since then. Eight, seven, nine, six, six, nine, nine, nine. Ooh, Sorry. You know, Age of Wonders was a little bit less. I think you bid two two dollars more on that than I did. Oh, that was Chris. Never mind. Um, 
Endless Dungeon, I think you bid $2 more. I bid 6 on that. But, like, I mean, looking at what you guys are bidding on games, I know Chris was a little, I think, skewing high on a lot of these, and that's fine. But, but Nick, you've been pretty reasonable, and I feel like I haven't been that far behind, so it feels bad to be losing bids to, uh, you know, a, a dollar or more. And this week, I beat you by a dollar. Well, you don't know. That's the that's the beauty of the, the blind auction is that no, you don't know what scale you're working with. Right. And you kind of just have to, like, break it down the way I've been looking at it, at least, is breaking it down based on how many slots I have left and how much budget I have to remain for the rest of the season. Like, I want to have a little bit of cushion, want to have, like, some leeway in case something gets delayed and I just have to have an emergency pickup. I don't want to be left holding the bag in October, you know? That's not something I want to... That's not a place I want to be at. Yeah, same. But you can't be too conservative because then you get outbid on games that you actually did want. Like, if you... Like, how much does it hurt that you lost Endless Dungeon when you bid $6 on it? You don't know until it comes out. I don't think that's a game to be like losing sleep over. I think there's going to be plenty more games that get announced, get released, and you're going to have plenty of opportunities to stay competitive. I mean, you've been hella competitive, all these fucking 85s and shit. <laughs> I mean, you're just, you're so consistent. If you can keep that consistency, you got the league in the bag. You know, I, I know it, it looks good right now because I just have a lot of games that have released, and that's just happenstance you know but like fire emblem at 81 vastly underperformed that's seven or eight points less than than i'd anticipated kirby at 80 a solid 80 that is a good place to be company of heroes at 80 that's a good place to be but like you look at some of the games that i drafted those games over and you might think like ooh, i could have had hogwarts legacy over company of heroes Dead Cells Return to Castlevania. You even mentioned like I'm shocked that you did not go for this, and I just was like, I yeah, know that was that was eleventh pick for me. <laughs> I know, and well, to be fair, I think my reasonings for not wanting to pick it up, you know, because it's Castlevania, because it's very late in Dead Cells life cycle. Like, oh, there's no way that's going to do a 92 or 93, and like, yeah, that was right, but it's still an 86, which is a fucking phenomenal pickup. So it's just. It's it's hard to figure out. To be fair, your picks before that were Zelda, Fire Emblem, and Forza. Okay. Like that was the okay. league. That was the territory that yeah, I got yeah. that got that pick at. That's fair. So and then theater rhythm, your your fucking last pickup, and God, you get an eighty six on that. I mean, bullshit. that's the exact same thing. I told you guys, three sixty no scope on that. Freaking nailed that. But like Wolong's a little bit less than I thought it probably would based on some of the previews. I'm glad. I know we talked about how I couldn't. I couldn't remember which game was which based on what Brendan and I had been looking at. And I ended up going with Wolong instead of Wukong. <laughs> both, I mean, they were both on my list because they both look good. So I, you know, I'm glad I didn't get Wukong because I got delayed to 2024, but like it worked out. I dropped my unannounced game in lieu of another unannounced game. Which, which is funny. I people like it. think it's funny. And I, I, I held off on doing it for a while because I thought I would rather take a zero on that slot than waste a, a, a drop, which I might still wish. But I just figured, you know, if I'm going to, if I'm going to get points in that slot and and even things up with Nick come the end of the year, just as far as n number of games released, because realistically, based on how we're playing the game, we're not going to have any games that don't come out this year. So that slot might end up mattering if we keep hitting these picks out of the park. So I did some research. Nick, you, you and I sat one night out of the podcast even, and I was running down my Nintendo EPD group like conspiracies, looking at what teams were helping other developers, what teams were doing things internally, how long has it been since something's been released. And I'm like, I feel reasonably confident that a Donkey Kong game could come out this year, kind of out of nowhere. And and that might totally be off the mark, but I figured, you know, I looked at MK12, but I also looked at their history and how like they consistently, you know, announce these games the year before they come out. And I just thought, you know, 
Let's go with Nintendo. They just shadow dropped a Metroid game. Let's just take the chance and maybe I can I can catch lightning in a bottle. Let me run down a quick list of games that I actually picked up. It's very short as I failed eight bids this year. Storyteller, which has been in my list and I have bid on multiple times and then canceled my bid. I finally decided to just pull the trigger. It could totally flop, but I watched the demo gameplay. It's been in development for like 10 years. It's like a single guy who's doing it. It's evolved a ton. Very sort of early indie game in that regard. Very, you know, Braid-like. You see how much it's it's come along over the years. Who knows? Who knows? This might not even get enough freaking reviews to score me points, but... I think it will. It's been enough uh, Nintendo Indie Directs that I think it's going to get reviews. Yeah, and I hope it's good. It looks cute. It gives me Card Shark vibes, and I think that's a good place to be. That's like a solid... That's an 81 on uh, Open Critic. I just checked, so I think it's got a potential. I think 80 is like the realm of possibility for that. And I'll be very happy with that. But there might not be enough meat on that bone. Chris, you gave me a lot of shit for a couple of games we picked up here. So I got Planet of Lana, uh, Tachia, Tachia, and Replaced. I finally had to just make some moves. I talked about how I don't want to do anything without flipping release dates, but I had to start, you know, I couldn't just be reactive uh, and keep getting outbid by a dollar or $2 every week. And I still got some games in the bag, but I just said, you know, Planet of Lana, I haven't seen enough from that game. It's it's like Ghibli inspired, like cute anime indie. Who knows what that game's going to be? But if I can get it for six bucks or nine bucks at this point, Chris is filled up. Fuck it. I'll take the risk. You know, I just had to change my strategy. Why Planet of Lana and why replaced? Like, why are you with some of your like first pickups? These feel, these feel like panic pickups to me to buy, to pick up games from brand fucking new studios that you're functionally taking a flyer on. You don't know if that's a 65 or an 81. Like you, you have no idea. Or if it's idea. a 2023 game. Right. Exactly. Like we, we you just don't know that Chia even like I'm sort of other games from that studio have not reviewed over a 70 yet. So like, what's the, what's the thought process? Like clue me in. At some point it comes down to resources being allocated for the game. Is there big studio support? You know, you're seeing these in like, you know, premier showcases. And I think of games like Pentiment last year. So at some point you got to take calculated risks. And this is my argument when we talk about, and you give me shit in the group chat for how I had like six games, not score or get released last year. And you said, those are bad. And I said, they're, they're, they're bad. Like when you're doing the math, but they're not bad picks. And that like this whole game is about calculated risks. And with how many more games this year per person, an extra player in the league, like you have to be even riskier with, you know, trying to get ahead of some other people. If everybody waits to bid on something that is going to be a surefire 80 or more and has a release date, half of us are going to get stuck with empty slots at the end of the year. So calculated risks. I look at what I can look at, what's available. I look at the names attached, the the publishers attached, taking a swing like Nick did on Blanc. The cute indie with the unique aesthetic. Those could be 90s. Those could be 60s. And yeah, it's it's a massive swing, but I figured if I'm going to take them, I got to get them out of the way now. So that's my thought process. I understand your thought process. I just feel like for Planet of Lana and Replaced in general, it kind of belies your winning strategy so far, which is picking games with, with release dates, first and foremost. Seems like an unforced sort of... I mean, we don't know if it's an error until the game's out and it has scores, but it seems like a... You put yourself in a, a precarious position, mostly because it feels like you're getting a little bit of FOMO with a, a a lighter release slate. And getting outbid eight times. Like, 
We're living in your head, baby. You're like, I gotta make a move. I gotta make a move. No, that's not what it is, though. These games have you, been on my watch list. You literally said, you literally said, I got outbid a bunch of times. I gotta make some moves. Listeners of this podcast, validate me in the comments section. Like, I swear to God, you literally just said those words. I'm not even, I'm not even making an argument. I'm repeating your own words to you. There, it's not a panic move like uh, when I got Famicom Detective Club a couple years ago. That, those are panic moves. These okay. games have all been on my watch list. They've all showed up in showcases since, which makes me feel more confident that they will be released this year. The timing of it, though, right after Chris fills up his 19 slots is sus. I have bid every week. You've been watching them, but you're not willing to wait for a release date, which as Nick rightfully identified, you are rolling everybody right now because you drafted and had your first pickups be really intelligent release date only pickups. So all those three things together, that's where I'm like, this smells like a panic move, but you could like shock everybody and have those hit 80, in which case we're fucked. Like if your flyers are getting 80s, we're done. Like this league is over. I just had to change my strategy a little bit. I had to get ahead of reactionary bidding. And if, you know, if I'm going to just sit here waiting to bid on something that someone else has already convinced themselves is going to be good, I have a lot lower chance of outbidding them or making a mistake in way overbidding. So I said, you know, these are games that I have a good feeling about. If I get ahead of it now before people, you know, of course, all of you went and looked up Planet of Lana after I bid on it, and that's fine. But the psychological game of like, it wasn't something that you discovered and, and convinced yourself about. You know, even Nick, you bid a couple bucks on, on Chia or whatever. I bid $8. That's a lot of dollars. One dollar okay. less than you. Yeah. So <laughs> first of all, I think that is a really smart strategy switch. Like, let's not belie my like, you know, loving shit talk here that I, I think that is absolutely <laughs> the move that you should have made based on all that stimulus. And I just uh, love the fact that we have forced you to change strategy. That's the good shit. That's the good shit. That's a good TV. That's a winning mindset, man. I'm trying to I'm trying to win this league and I have to adapt. I have to figure things out. As we go, and I, I can't just stick to my guns. You know that's how that's how you lose. You have to you have to be fluid. You have to see what you know the homies are doing, and you have to react accordingly. I have missed out on eight games, including Pepper Grinder, Last Case of Benedict Fox, Advance Wars, Plucky Squire, Endless Dungeon, Age of Wonders, and Fugo with the one dollar bid. I'm glad I didn't get that game. Maybe if it gets an 85, I'll regret it, but I bid $1 on it for a reason. That's rough. That that feels bad. But what I'm not going to do Aww. is see what you guys are bidding on and overreact by bidding $17 on a game that I don't think is worth $17. So in that sense, I'm doing what Nick is doing. I think anyone's bid $17 on a game. I mean, I'll be, let's be clear. Like I'm beating you with $10 and $11 bids because at the end of the day, we have nine slots to fill. And if I could fill that for... I mean, what I filled it for, for $81, like, I still have money to make a move later in the year. I still have money to pick up my counterpicks. Like, I just wanted to point this out really quick. The The thing you've spent the most money on is counterpicking Disney Illusion Island. I hope that works out for you. How and much it, did you spend on that? $10. You spent 10 bucks on it. You spent $10 on a counterpick? Yeah, because I knew Brendan was going to go for it. I figured Nick probably would try. I don't know if you did. I can't remember, but I did not try. And Brennan bid uh, $3. Wow. Counterpicks, no more than $5 maximum. No more than $5 on a counterpick. I told Brennan on Discord the other day, I saw that Chris had, had counterpicked something, or I deduced based on my conversation with Brennan that it was Chris. And so I bid $20. I saw that. 
more money than Chris has on a counterpick despite having no counterpick slots. And here's my thought process. Completely dumb of me. But I thought, I don't know how the, how the system works, but if the system recognizes that I outbid Chris, so then Chris is out of that equation, and then it recognizes that I didn't have a slot for it, so then the bid fails. Would I still cock block Chris on the counter pick? So then can I just cock block Chris's counter picks the rest of the year, being that I have more cash than him? And then he would be stuck with two plus 15 or plus 20 slots at the end of the year. It did not work. He won the counter pick. But I thought, bro, if this works and there's some quirk in this guy's system, which is totally possible, <laughs> given that this is a one man show and. You know, there's some janky things about how it works. Nick would have been the first in that man's Twitter DMs to get that fixed. But I thought, dude, this is big brain play right here. If I can cock block Chris, dude, he's going to be stuck with plus 15 and plus 15. I would have league manager intervention if it was that janky. There's no way I wouldn't just give that to Chris. Because it's part of the game. <laughs> it's part of the game is me being the league manager and being able to overrule your stupid bullshit, too. I'm a fair and just king. <laughs> Not only do I live in your head, I just opened a fucking Baskin Robbins. I just opened a fucking Subway. I'm setting up franchises in there. Brent, when I opened up that can of worms, what was your thought process? This guy's an idiot or that's just so stupid it may work? Be honest, he can't hurt you. There was nothing like I didn't think it was going to work, but I thought like, how does your brain work this way? (laughs) He's a sicko. That would have been so good, though. Even if we just worked the once, just for the bit that Chris lost his counterpick this week. It would have been a great bit. It would have been a great bit. The funny thing to me is that you also have a bid on that game. You tried picking that game up. So now I have this in my in my fucking spreadsheet. <laughs> that game's not coming out. I bid $9 on that game. I actually considered counterpicking advance wars just like taking a chance even though i also tried to pick that game up also uh, you know do it i just don't know what that game is gonna oh i'm out of i'm out of i already have uh blanc which is a winner disney illusion island which is gonna be a winner redfall could be a suicide squad could be a who knows and then alan wake which that game might not come out in 2026 anyway it's been a fucking active year nick do you have any uh Parting statistics for us from that spreadsheet. Not really anything too interesting. Chris is the most countered of among us with uh, five counters on his and zero on EJ being the least. Just yeah, bangers on that. Just uh, our spends. EJ spent forty seven dollars. Chris has spent eighty one. I've spent forty one, and Brennan has spent thirty. EJ spent forty seven dollars so far. And yeah, if he had gotten all his bids in uncontested, he would have spent an additional forty nine. But then he would also have more than uh, 23 games based on how many games he's uh, been active on. I'm right behind you, though, EJ. I've, I've bid on six games. I'm filled up in counterpicks, though. $9 or $10 on a game that's going to get you minus points. Ah, like That's crazy, crazy to me. For all the research you've done on prior games and entries or from developers slash franchises, have you looked at some of those Disney platformers from the last 10 years? On 3DS and Wii U, he's doing it right now, folks. That's not the same company. No, I'm looking at. I'm. I'm looking at. I'm trying to remember. Disney. Disney was the one you spent nine bucks on, right? That spent ten bucks on. Just from a pure dollars to points standpoint, you're gonna take a bath on that, no matter what. Like I don't. I don't get you. You're like three dollars for a game. That's perfectly logical. But ten dollars for a counter pick is also perfect. I don't. I'll fucking get you. I'll get you. I knew that at least fifty percent of the league that week wanted that game. I had to be competitive. 
we know it's going to be a bad game. So it was like, okay, I got to get this game if I really want this game. And counter picks are going to be hard to come by. You already said it. Till the shit that you picked up last week, it was going to be hard to come by. And now it's ripe for the picking. Counter pick them. Lose your 12 points. Lose your 12 points on Chia. Yeah, that's an 82. Boy, huff that copium, baby. Chris, your entire strategy has been just looking at whatever Nick and I do. Nick also bid competitively on that game. So by that logic, you tell me what that means. It's no atomic heart, okay? But... (laughs) (laughs) Not the worst scoring game in the league. Let me remind you. It's the worst drafted game (laughs) ever of all time, actually. Really quick before we transition completely, I was wondering if you guys wanted to do a little uh, quiz. Oh, yeah. I love tests. Okay. All right. Do a little quiz. Okay. So uh, I've I've got a name for this. It's called Critical Hits. Oh, let's go. (laughs) The point of it is I will give you a qualifier and then you will give me a game. And whoever has the highest Metacritic score, because we can go further back with Metacritic, higher Metacritic score wins that round. So I'm going to ask to see your hands, hands up and just just, you know, trust that you guys aren't looking shit up on the sly. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. This week, this week, I mean, you don't actually have to show me your hands, but just like, don't be an asshole. This week, my uh, my theme, since we've done this league now, 2023, 2022, 2021, is I wanted to see what you think the best games from the previous five years were. And the way I've got this set up is I'm starting in reverse draft order with you three. So Brandon, then Chris, then EJ. And I'll rotate. And so then each round it'll be Chris, EJ, Brandon, then EJ, Brandon, Chris. And you will get turns to give me a name of a game. I will air on uh, platforms to whatever gives you the highest score. You know, I will be generous. Um, Games that release internationally, like if you... uh, if a game comes out a year earlier in Japan, but it comes out in the U.S. a year later, then I'll I'll give you that. And we'll just see where this goes. Oh, boy. In the year 2020, Brennan, what do you think is the highest Metacritic scoring game? And I'll reveal the scores at the end of the round so we're not, like, you know, working off each other or anything. I'm going to say, I don't want to, but I'm going to say The Last of Us 2. The Last of Us Part 2. Chris. Do we have to give different games? Yes. Fuck. Well, that's bullshit. Brent got it right. <laughs> In future weeks, I want to see if we can uh, avoid using any games that have been used previously. So this will set us on a good baseline. All right. Uh, 2020. Uh, Seems so far away. The first year of the pandemic. Well, I already know I've lost because I'm pretty fucking sure it's the last of us part two. G- give me Final Fantasy VII Remake. Final Fantasy VII Remake. Uh, it's the Forza game. EJ. Forza. Do you have a name for that game? Was it Horizon 5? I drafted it that year. I don't remember. Or was that 2021? That was, that was 21. 20. Oh, fuck. What came out in 2020? <laughs> We've already listed the only two games <laughs> I remember. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Brett nailed it. It's probably that. 2020. This is a weird year. Lots of trauma that year, Nick. Why are you doing this to me? I don't have an answer. I don't have an answer. What? Uh, EJ skipping on nothing. (laughs) Yeah, I couldn't even tell you. Okay, and to reveal the points, Last of Us Part 2 with a 93 on Metacritic. Final Fantasy VII Remake with an 87, giving Brennan... I'll do three, two, one for points for first, second place. What was the, what was the highest reviewed game of that year? 
The highest scoring game was Persona 5 Royal. Whoa! Like a best of. Chris, I'm sad that you didn't get this, but uh, Hades was also a 93 dog. Oh, damn it! I thought that was 2019! <laughs> uh, I didn't realize that had released in 2020, but I guess that's when I started playing it. Uh, the Switch version, at least. I mean, I, I think it came out on Switch, so yeah. Ori and the Will of the Wisps was also 2020, and that was a 93. Damn. Demon Souls. I mean, we got, you know, PS5 launch, launch games. So Demon Souls. Wow. Okay. That was Miles Morales 2020 also? Yes. Yeah. Good year. I mean, there were some good games there. Some like weird kind of Microsoft Fight Fight Simulator was 91. Crusader Kings 3 was 91. You know, I got some got some weird sort of hard to remember games. All right. Chris, with 2019, what was the goatee? Oh my god. Oh no, that's not it. Fuck. Oh, okay. I was like, okay, what was I playing? Where where was I? Where did I live that year? I've lived in so <laughs> many I've lived in so many fucking states in the last four years. I'm like, where literally was I in time and space in 2019? I was in oh my god, I don't know. I don't know where I was. No, I was in I was in Louisiana. Okay, what was I playing? What was I playing in Louisiana? 2019, also a weird year. I remember watching game of the year stuff. And it was a strange batch, I would have to say. Was that the year we watched together? No, no. Yeah, no. We watched in twenty. We watched in uh, twenty eighteen because that was when Smash Bros came out. I don't even remember if this is the year that it came out, but uh, all I remember Give playing in twenty nineteen is Octopath Traveler. That is the only game I can remember, and there's no way I'm winning this round. That was twenty eighteen. Oh fuck me! I don't. Oh god, Spider Man. I will mark it down though. <laughs> Uh, Spider-Man was also, uh, was also, also 2018. God damn it. <laughs> That's what I thought. EJ, do you have a game for 2019? Fire Emblem was 2018, right? Or was that 19? It was 19, but Fire Emblem didn't win game of the year. You just have to beat us. You don't have to name the game of the year. <sighs> Fire Emblem. Fire Emblem Three Houses was released in 2019. You are correct. <laughs> Shit, dude. Brennan, what is your game for 2019? Control. Control. No. Wow, nice. Yeah, that did come out in 2019. You are so correct. Uh, Octopath Traveler did not release in 2019, so that's a zero for Chris. Mm-hmm. Um, Control has an 82 on Metacritic. Wow, it feels low. Hmm. Fire Emblem Three Houses has an 89. Hey. EJ gets the point on 2019. Some other fun ones t- from 2019 were uh, It Link's Awakening remake. That was a good mm. summer. Mario Maker 2. Expansions like Monster Hunter, Apex Legends was 2019, Sekiro was 2019. Jeez. All right. All right. What's next? 2018. EJ, you're up to start. Oh, so this is really tough. This is actually really tough because I don't know. I mean, I know what literally won game of the year. I don't know. We're talking Metacritic score. Ugh. 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 This is tough. It's going to be funny if it was neither of these games. Um, Let's pick one. I'm going to go God of War with the higher Metacritic score. All right. Brennan. Red Dead Redemption 2. <laughs> Sorry, Chris. Red Dead 2. <laughs> Chris. Guess Xenoblade or something. You're not going to beat either of the two games we already guessed. I can't. I don't know any. You guys know that I don't. I buy like two games a year that come out when I buy them. I'll give it to you. Years are hard. I wanted to start with this because it gives us sort of like a baseline of like what's come out in the past. It's sort of like a exploratory exercise and in understanding and sort of uh, it seeds the ground as it were for future quizzes where I ask you different categorizations 
and makes you think a little bit harder than the most obvious answers. No, that's, that's my fair. intent with this, at least. That's fair. I'm just bad at game. Can you think of a game that came out in 2018? Did Let's Go come out in 2018? Pokemon Let's Go? Pokemon Let's Go. Uh, Eevee got an 80. Uh, God of War has a 94, and Red Dead has 97. Fuck! Yeah! <laughs> Fuck that game. <laughs> Fuck that game. I've talked a lot of shit about God of War for a lot of reasons, but fuck Red Dead Redemption. I know that I argued for GTA 5 being on the Console Crusade Top 100, but fuck Rockstar, dude. You argued tooth and nail for that game. Because it's fucking one of the best games ever, but fuck Rockstar. That's really funny. Brandon, wow. okay, you're starting us off. What is uh, the highest scoring game of 2017? God damn it. Oh, that's so far away. Um, no one say no one say anything. I'm not saying I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. This is unfair. This is dumb, Nick, and I hate it. Why am I last on this one? I know this one. Holy fuck! Bomberman R. <laughs> oh, Breath of the Wild. The Legend of Zelda: Breath of the Wild. Chris Odyssey. God damn it! Damn it, motherfucker! It's Odyssey, you piece of shit. You piece of shit, motherfucker. Brennan, I wish you would guess something else, because then Chris would have gone Breath of the Wild, and I knew it was Odyssey. I knew it was Mario, as discussed on this podcast. EJ? I who fucking cares? I'm last place. EJ? Who cares? EJ? Give me a guess. Get Super Bomberman. Are you going to go with Super Bomberman? No one, two switch. No other game <laughs> did better than switch? either of those two games. So one I'm last place. Who cares? <laughs> Losing his mind. Doesn't even go for Horizon Zero Dawn. He's doing Super Bomberman R. Fast RMX. <laughs> Snipper clips. I'm I'm doing I'm putting you down for Super Bomberman Thank R. You. Even, Thank you. Thank okay. you. That might be the lowest one. Oh. <laughs> one reviewed so poorly. <laughs> I had fun oh with it God. for one day. What is it? Tell us what it is. Super Bomberman R with a 67. Are you going oh. Metacritic or Open Critic? You're going Metacritic. Meta. Yeah, yeah. Metacritic. Yeah. Well, Breath of the Wild might have an argument over Odyssey on Metacritic, actually. Yeah, it might. And unprecedented, both with a 97, Breath of the Wild and Mario Odyssey. <laughs> wow. Yep. And what was Horizon? Horizon was like an 89. Yeah, I figured. So I get two, I get two points for being in second place on this, right? Because they tied for first. Uh, no, you got third place, so you still get one point. How do I get third I'm place sorry. if they tied for first? How is that possible? Tie for first, and then second, and then the next listed number will be third. That's super common. Yeah, that's really common. In fact, would you like it more if they were tied for second? Yeah, Wait, less what points the fuck? for them. No, I'd like no. that just fine. I actually knew that one. <laughs> no, they're tied for first. It's fine. Then they're, if they're getting the same <laughs> amount of points, then I'm in second place. Uh, other, other highly scoring games of that year were Divinity Original Sin 2, Persona 5, Undertale, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, Shovel Knight Treasure Trove. Oh. Uh, Horizon Zero Dawn. Injustice 2. You know, a lot of great games. Near Automata. Cuphead. I mean, dude. SteamWorld Dig 2. Damn. What a year. Wolfenstein 2. That came out the same day as Mario Odyssey. And so did, uh, what was that? Assassin's Creed Origins, I think, came out the same day. Yeah. You know, pretty good year. Pretty good year. Hollow Knight. That's a damn good Hell year. year. All right, Chris. Let's round us out. Let's get this fifth year going what is the highest scored game of 2016 oh no i thought we'd already got the. i would say this is another kind of weird i was year. like i'm going out on a high note and then nick's like all right last round <laughs> no um yeah let's let's final round it let's just round it out brennan's got this in the bag i'm sorry you guys <laughs> god that was the wii u era so it's not on that console try to think about what i was playing in 2016 
God, I have no idea. You know, back then, I mean, we've got the Wii U, we've got 3DS, we've got PS4, we got Xbox One, and we got, you know, PC games. That's really the the, the landscape. PS4, Assassin's Creed Syndicate, did that come out in 2016? I don't believe so. I think Syndicate was 2015. Said 2015. They took a couple years off before Origins. They did. Yeah, they took a hiatus, which was much needed despite Syndicate being really good. Um, Syndicate was 2015. Damn it. Uh, Quit giving him answers, man. He would have guessed Syndicate if you hadn't just told him that it wasn't in that year. Come on. Yeah, if he asks, I'll, I'll let him know. I mean, you also went with Octopath Traveler earlier. I mean, I'm not. I'm not going to be so hard-assed about this. If you want to ask if something came out in a certain year, I can give you that answer. I can't tell you what the score is. Mm, no, I don't think that was that year either. Ah, was it uh, Final Fantasy 15? I think that was 2016. That's my answer. That's not the best game, but it is a game, I think, that came out that year. If it didn't, whatever, it's a zero. Just fucking move on for me. We got to talk about The Last of Us. <laughs> Final Fantasy 15 was 2016. Oh, wow. Great. EJ. Uncharted 4. Fuck EJ's you. EJ's going with Uncharted 4. God damn it. That's the only thing that I could think of that could have scored remotely well. Um, it came to me in a dream just this moment. Oh, uh, well, that was my answer. So I have to think of something else. Um, Just say Doom. All right, Doom. <laughs> it's like an 80. Final Fantasy 15 was an 81. Yeah. Doom was an 87. Yeah. And Uncharted 4 was the highest scoring game of the year with 93. Which, after doing uh, some quick tallies, puts Brennan at winning with 13 points, with EJ following up with 10, and Chris in third with 7. Not bad. Actually, EJ should have received 1 point for coming in third on quiz number 1, and 2 points for coming in second place on Brennan and Chris's tie. Unless, as Nick suggested, they receive 2 points instead of 3. Either way, EJ has tied for first place. Suck on that, Bren. Stop the steal. Oh, I love this. I love games. I love games about games. <laughs> Game games. All right. Let's shuffle into Last of Us 2. We have 40 minutes to talk about episode eight. We're going to start with Brennan because you've never done a Last of Us recap with us. And if you can just give us the five minute run through on your thoughts on the show overall, and then we'll toss it to Chris to kick us into this episode. Yeah. I, I mean, honestly, like I like everybody else, I love the show. Um, there's been some things that are like not quite stuck with me, but a lot of things that really have. And I think a common theme is about like the end of every episode, almost that at least one or two things that pulls some tears from my eyes and makes <laughs> okay. me, you know, a little, little wrinkly inside. Why is it so dusty in here? Oh, I mean, I got to say, man, for this episode, being a nurse when she's sticking Joel with some penicillin Ugh. right in that fucking wound. Ugh. Oh my God. I cringe. I, I know everybody does because it's like, Ugh, but it's also just like, no, do it right. You stupid 14 year old girl who has no medical experience. Jesus. What is she supposed to do? Sticking the muscle. Uh, was she like literally dripping it in from above or was she actually oh, no, going she just into stuck the wound? It right inside of that, the wound and, and then use the same needle twice after putting it on the ground. So, not only is he not going to die of that, but he's going to die of a MRSA infection. Oh, okay. 
nurse bread over here. Yeah. Anyway, that's my two cents about that. The last episode was pretty universally panned uh, on this podcast, but is this your show that you're getting to at the end of every week and you're like, holy shit, I, wa- I wish I could watch the next episode? Or are you sort of in that Mandalorian range where you're like, yeah, I'm going to watch next week because I'm obligated to as a person who consumes things? I liked this episode a lot more than the last two episodes. I, I rewatched it again today, so it's like the second time I've rewatched an episode, and I liked it just as much the second time. I, uh, you know, I thought David was a little bit scarier. Yeah, I mean, just don't get me started about the whole, you know, church pastor thing. But a lot of trauma there for us, buddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of baggage. It's just the same as every week. Like, I wish I could just watch the end, finish it, have all the knowledge, how how it's gonna wrap up, and. And just kind of soak it all in at once, you know? Yeah. It's hard to go week to week and not feel like you're you're rewriting things in your head or, you know, like, I really hope they do X, Y, and Z next week. And then there's some sort of manufactured disappointment that you wouldn't have otherwise had. Yeah. Well, I think that is one way. Like, I mean, I have been listening to your guys' recaps every week. Um, and something that I noticed just about myself is, like, I really just... I guess I don't really have many expectations of what they're doing. I just kind of want to see what they do. And that is not the case with you, EJ. Lucky <laughs> like, dog. <laughs> like, like you are, you are literally every week. Like, I mean, it's, you do that for everything, but it's one of the, your little quirks. Yeah, I'm a broken man. <laughs> Thanks, Brad. I get it. I mean, at this point we only have an episode left. So like my issues with pacing and some of the changes, they continue this week. And that's just sort of a theme. So I expect more next week uh, of the same, but like, yeah, you know, they're, they're hitting the right notes and it's, it's a, it's a solid show. Glowing review. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, Chris, you texted me and you posted on Instagram. I cannot stop shaking. I, and so many of us, of course, were kind of waiting for this episode because it's probably other than the ending, like the most memorable part of this game is the winter section when Ellie's alone. Joel's got an infection. She's trying to get medicine for him. Uh, and then, of course, uh, David and the lodge and and all that stuff. I mean, it just is a visceral fucking section. And I thought they did, I thought they did a terrific job of adapting this to television. Um, and I I I know that you have a couple bones to pick, EJ, which seemed minor just based on like your general tone uh, in in your in your text to me after you watched it. Seemed to be like, ah, uh, yeah, I, I yeah, I don't like love this change, but otherwise like great episode, thought it was good. Um, but we'll we'll get into that. We'll get into that. Um Yeah, this is it. This is the winter section. We we open up with uh with Ellie, or no, we don't, we open up with David. We open up with David in the congregation. This preacher uh speaking to his congregation members of the community, and we get the sense that like things are not going well for them, they're running out of food. Uh we have a great cameo from Troy Baker. Uh, which I was hoping that we get to see him in a featured role, give him a little something to do, seeing that he originated the role of Joel. And I thought he was great. Uh, but we, we see the talk about like, we got to go hunting. We got to get some food. Like we're in deep shit. Otherwise, the biggest thing for me doing the cold open with the lodge and these people to me is the biggest argument for why the last of us part two seasons two and three should be told conventionally is because even though at no point were we supposed to sympathize or empathize with David, Going away from Ellie's point of view, which is how we experience things in the game, and opening on these people, such a sick idea, and helped make David's character even more fucking creepy 
and terrifying in in the show versus the game. And we were joking about this in group chat where EJ's like, oh, we're going to get a whole fucking backstory for the priest. And then we literally got a backstory for the priest, except they absolutely fucking knocked it out of the park. Right. This is how you do Kathleen the right way. No heavy. I mean, there's like one exposition heavy scene. You know, it's not a, a is that a box full of mushrooms? Uh, yes. I'm so jealous right now. Oh. Let's go. <laughs> That's great. Ah, cordyceps. Yeah, Lindsay said that they've been like popping out of her mouth, so she grabbed a few of them, and you know she's been harvesting herself. <laughs> nice, good uh, bit. Good. good anyway, bit. this is how you do a backstory for a character without telling us anything that is not directly relevant to what we're going to see in that episode. Yeah, yeah, without Game of Thronesing it and like inventing some bullshit that wasn't from the source material, and then failing at it. Yeah, and look, look, the biggest, the biggest change to this, the biggest change to this is taking. David and this group away from sort of being just a gang of goons who happen to eat people calling themselves the survivors who you do get a little bit of trust for David in the game, uh, given that there's like a slightly longer time period in terms of like getting to know him, getting the penicillin from him. But starting with him as like this comforting preacher type and, and the inclusion of the religious element to begin with, it made it so much grosser for so many reasons. And it also immediately brought us to a number of inferences that they then explicitly pulled out that the game is never explicit about. Like we get the vibe from David in the video game that there's this weird child bride thing going on potentially with Ellie that he, that's what he wants her for. Um, and the fact that he's a, preacher the fact that we see his interactions with like that one young woman who lost her father to begin with he just it just is such a good fucking performance from this guy and like everything he does makes perfect sense he never says anything in the first like third half of the episode where we're like oh that's kind of messed up but he's just off like there's something that's just wrong about him and it just a fucking credit to the casting director here and to this actor but i'm gonna give like 60 to 70 percent of the credit to the casting director because you can't you can't really direct that is just a quality in someone that they bring that you have to find and just put on screen well and he played a very similar uh not not a similar role as far as like what that character was in the breaking bad spinoff uh uh movie el camino but Similar role in the sense that he was playing like in that he was he was some goon pretending to be a cop and he interacts with our main character and he has to put on this, you know, I'm a cop front. There's just this like calm believability about him, but this really subtle, gross thing. Like you said, it, you, you can't put your finger on it, but you're just unsettled by the guy, even when he's being perfectly affable. Overall, I was like, this is how you do a bad guy right here. Yeah. And the fact that like people who folks who come to the show having like any religious upbringing, like he starts with a verse from the book of revelations of all fucking books in the Bible to try to potentially like comfort people, which is by some considered to be like apocalyptic prophecy. I'm just like, what the fuck? Like revelations really? And like citing that specific verse and seeing the way that that lands on people felt a little on the nose like it could have it could have been any verse but they had to go with the obvious apocalypse one <laughs> and if you right. didn't know you would just think like ah oh, book in the bible but 
folks who know are like, that's odd. Like, that's so strange. And you have the look on like, we can't bury him yet, which of course, like we all know as fans of the game means like they're going to fucking eat him. Um, but for lay viewers, it's just like, oh yeah, sure. Like that makes perfect sense. And it paid off. Like later in the episode, Tiffany like looked at me and was like, I guess dad was for dinner. Like just like putting that together at that point, exactly as they would want people who hadn't played the game to like take that journey. I thought was sort of desperate to it. So we continue. Uh, we see Ellie out hunting uh, using the skills that Joel taught her. She does manage to shoot a deer after falling on her face, trying to catch a rabbit. Um, she tracks the deer and uh, ambushes David and uh, his right hand man, a.k.a. Troy Baker. Was his name Jason? Yeah, Buddy something boy. like that. Yeah, who cares? Buddy, Buddy boy. That was his name. <laughs> Buddy boy. Yep. A teenager trying to sound hard. Make buddy boy get it pretty tough to sit through, but in the right for the right, but for the right reasons, but for the right reasons, like they want you to cringe like that is that is intentional, I think. Um, uh, and Joe, uh, Ellie gets a little bit of uh, concerted time here with David while uh, buddy boy is off getting the medicine and David gets to make his pitch and he makes the hard sell for look like I'm a simple man, like I'm a man of I, I came to my faith really after the apocalypse, which was just, it made perfect sense in the moment. And then also got such different context later in the episode, which I thought was a testament to the writing in that, that later we come to discover that's because David sort of worships these cordyceps and like the, the fact that they like take and take and that they, they, they look after their own and they replicate and like populate the earth. Uh, but in the moment we're just like, Oh yeah, of course, like it's a tough time. Like people need something to lean on. Uh, and Ellie is in another fantastic fucking performance with Bella Ramsey from top to bottom. She is, despite herself, starting to get one over by this guy. And then we get a shoe drop that these uh, the folks that we saw at the end of uh, episode six that Joel killed one of their folks, the person who shanked him with the mystery splinter from the bat, as EJ has uh, uh, spoken about. Uh, we're members of the group and they are not so happy that uh, they are here. We get the sense that they are absolutely going to be coming for them. Uh, but Ellie gets the medicine, gets back to Joel, is able to give him a couple of doses. Um, I'm curious about, I cannot remember. I, I don't think that those were the same people were members of the same group in the game. Were they members of the same group in the game? I'm pretty sure they were. And the reveal is very similar where David is like, uh, you know, funny, you should mention some of my guys went out and they, you know, a guy and a girl. I think it was a pretty similar scene. The feeling I got watching David reveal that in the show is this like same feeling I remember having with that character. The audience is realizing as he's revealing that like, actually, you're a motherfucker and I want you dead. And we're like, oh shit, what's going to happen right now? Like, it reflects more on his character that he saved that revelation to Ellie until his companion came back and it sort of puts into context his hard sell as Chris put it. And uh, it, it shows that this is a character who is easily going to lie to you, whether by omission or just literally, and is just trying to manipulate people around him. And that's his character as a manipulator. That's exactly it. And when he starts to, to do the reveal and I'm sitting there like, Oh my God, like, you know that Troy Baker is sitting behind Ellie with a gun. Yeah, James, lower the gun. And he only lets her go because they don't want her. They want Joel. And he seems to want 
Ellie later, like contextually, we, we get more of like why he left her alive. But yeah, in the moment it's like they're, they, they don't care about her. She's not the one who killed, who killed anybody. So that scene later in the cell is so uncomfortable. Something I said to you, Chris, in the group chat, you know what? We've harped on the Kathleen thing enough times and talked about pacing. And of course they got to hit all these beats in this episode. And because next episode is the finale. So we, we knew what this episode was going to consist of, but you know, I had said to you, Chris, that like I I don't love that we had to kind of montage through Ellie's winter. Like, of course, this is the, the important part of like the plot, but it's just far as seeing, and of course, we see Pedro Pascal's sudden and miraculous uh, recovery later in the episode. Hey, man, that's what penicillin right in the wound will do. <laughs> Apparently, right, right Brent? <laughs> exactly. That's what they don't want you to know. Big pharma, dude. <laughs> they keep selling you mushroom drugs. Yeah, it would have been nice to see a little more of Ellie having to be self-sufficient. And, and and of course, we talked about how they could have just done all the Left Behind flashback stuff during her winter journey, and it probably would have played a lot better. But yeah, seeing a little more progression in Joel's recovery, a little more progression of, of Ellie having to be the caretaker in a relationship where Joel has always been the caretaker. And I feel like... You know, we got the bookends in the last episode and we got like one pretty gnarly scene with the drugs here, but like we didn't really feel the impact of that role reversal at really any point in the show. And now it's, you know, Joel's back. So we're back to the status quo. So I'm a little disappointed in that, but it, but it's not enough to like, you know, it's just a nitpicky kind of thing, you know? Here's my question to you, because I I, I had kind of started coming around to, to this uh, to this way of thinking last time. What you know what? Maybe we really could have used uh, two episodes for this, but the more I think about it, the more I think that's a reflection of how well they executed this episode and me thinking, oh, maybe we could have had like two episodes that were really well executed. I don't know what you would have put in that last episode, though. I'm, I'm not saying that it means like the pacing of the show's perfect, but like there's nothing really for them to do that they didn't do here. And I get that it would have been good to see a chance for Ellie to be a little bit more self-sufficient, but I would argue, and I will argue when we talk about it later, that some of the specific changes at the end of the episode are telling that story more powerfully than seeing 30 more minutes of Ellie in a snowy forest probably could have. It would have just been cutting more of the left behind stuff and getting to the like important shit and then intercutting some just more moments with Joel and Ellie what important shit? Like, what would you do in the winter with Ellie by herself while Joel is literally dying in front of her? Like, how much could you possibly add of that? Literally any moment that was longer than 14 seconds of the two of them interacting, showing a, a little recovery on Joel's part, because the way they show it, it's literally just like he is so fucked up. He cannot open his eyes when Ellie is like, hey, things are about to go down to like literally walking out of there fine. Even even like a couple of day gap between when she gets the penicillin and when the, the guys come for her. That doesn't make any sense. That's what I'm saying here is like, you're saying like, it would have been great to see these moments, but you've offered no substance to these moments other than your gripes that he just miraculously recovers, which I don't disagree with. I'm not writing the fucking show. I don't need to sit here and like concoct a fake scene, make an argument. Like you can't just say, Oh, they should have had more of that. And then I'm like, there isn't any more to show. And you're like, uh, yes, there is like what then? Like, what would you have done? I mean, the game showed the progression of Joel's injury a hell of a lot better than just like an overnight flashbang thing. So like you do what the game did. You can't do an episode of TV on Ellie looting houses. I wanted more than 30 seconds of the two of them interacting in the last two episodes 
in a time where like it's really important for Ellie's character, like I said, to have become the caretaker. And that role reversal, we just we didn't feel the impact of it because we literally saw thirty seconds of it the entire time, and the rest was either a flashback or interacting with new characters, which was all executed pretty well. So it's not like we were cutting to Kathleen in those moments when we weren't with Ellie and Joel. But the speed run of Joel's recovery was a little bit. It just felt like dramatizing a moment that was dramatic enough without it. Like they could have easily have sprinkled. I mean, I don't know how easily because she needs to get the penicillin in order for her him to start recovery i mean he could have been like a little bit less completely fucked up like he could be laid up but still you know talking to her and not be just a a mannequin on the ground and just having like fevers you know just be feverish and be like uh, uh, alert but just like struggling and then get to the penicillin and it being like you know on the ropes a little bit but then have a little bit more time of them interacting and that would have helped i think uh convey to the the viewers that no Joel is out of danger of his wound killing him and is more in danger of these crazy cannibals that are going to come and blow his head off because they want revenge for the guy that he killed. So they could have they could have I think they could have brought that up and not been like the the gotcha moment of like oh he's coming down the stairs is Joel still laying down in the bed like no that's stupid that is that is cheap and the show is better than that but it shows time and time again that it's not above it. Like it's going to do the dumb shit because it's easy. And like, that's the easy thing. It's broadcast. Like obviously Joel is not going to get killed in this basement. He survived this long, but then it's just funny seeing him like fall onto people with a knife and just murder them. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's like flimsy stakes because exactly. We know it's going to happen, but 10 minutes later, he's got two guys tied up in a room and is torturing them, which was a, a great performance from Pedro Pascal. Yeah. Loved that. I thought that was a really good uh, sort of play on the original scene in the game. And it really showed like his fury, his rage and his protectiveness. And like, obviously we're, we're probably going to see more of that, but I mean, it, it showed that this was a, a violent Joel that is not, regretting this violence like this is violence that he finds justified there's a lot of unsettling stuff in this between david's speech in the cage ellie at the end but yeah pedro pascal torturing these guys oh god and i'm, I'm watching this with my grandma this week who's not watched any episodes of the show <laughs> what the fuck and i was like are you sure i mean she watches a lot of the prestige television so she's no stranger to to this kind of thing but she's like yeah i'm not really interested in fantasy and i said it's not fantasy grandma but she's not interested based on the fact that it's a video game property. Sure. But anyway, so we're watching this and she's like, you know, I'm kind of giving her the rundown on what's happening so far and where we're at with these characters. And yeah, there's some very uncomfy stuff to watch with your grandmother in this episode. This is far and away the most violent episode that we've seen. Yes. Since the first one. And aren't we glad they saved their pennies for that? They, they, I, throughout this whole season, I've been like, if they don't pay off, the reduction in violence with a bunch of fucking violence when they feel like they've earned it, it will have been a waste of our times. And that's exactly what they did. And speaking to that, like torture scene specifically, obviously we were going to need to see what Joel was doing because the way that the end of this arc manifests in the game of Joel, just like fucking instant transmissioning into a locked lodge to suddenly have his arms around Ellie works in a video game and does not work at all on television would not have worked at all on television. We needed to see what is he doing? How does he get there? 
Yes, it was hokey that like, oh, he suddenly recovered well enough to kind of get around a little, but also not really fight well. He found this empty town with the building on fire and right. You know what I mean? Uh, But we get to see we get to see Joel as he is maybe even a month prior to the beginning of the show, right? Like we get to see the Joel that we saw for an entire fucking video game long who just ices people with absolutely no regard. And I thought it was fucking well earned. It was well earned to, to build up to this point that he is a human being. Finally, as we've discussed on this podcast, as opposed to the game where he's like fairly two dimensional, like murder machine who has a soft spot for daughter figures. Um, and this is where we see, this is where we finally get to fucking see it. And it was really hard to watch really, really, really grisly because of his absolute commitment to I am go- I'm going to destroy you like not for one second in that scene. Did I not believe that he was capable of doing that, that he would do worse if he had to like it was it was fucking harrowing. Yeah, I don't know if there's anything else. I mean, we, we get to the cage and I think we start in the cage before we get Joel with his uh, torture victims and then you go back to the cage. It's smart to see like this is what's at stake. So we understand the significance of like Joel is not wasting time, even though he is not aware of that. You know, we have a little bit of dramatic irony going on there, but we know how dire and important that is. So we could load that scene up with that as well. Right. Because we get more of a, a more like here is David showing his hand. This is the revelation of the cannibalism out loud. I mean, it was implied very heavily earlier when there's, uh, someone asking uh, wh- what kind of meat is this and then a very pregnant pause and the guy saying venison and then David and James showing back up with an actual deer later. Right. And can we just talk about like the sound editing in this episode as an aside, like uh, a lot of meat sounds. Oh my God. It's so d- disgusting in the best way. Like hearing the squishing of, and the, like the, the, like the, the wet, sounds of the meat being picked up and squished and put in the pot and the sounds of like the clanking of the in the cafeteria hall just the wooden spoons in freaking porcelain bowls and of course like we the reveal of that it's human meat hasn't been made yet but we fucking know and that ugh, that was and even even with like the deer getting shot the horse getting shot the dragging of those respective animals like it's just very like squishy and wet sounding the whole time. And so I just want to like tip my cap to the sound editing on this episode because it really did a lot to help with storytelling, especially for folks who don't know what's going on. Yeah, I mean, it's remarkable that there was a horse that was shot on screen and that wasn't the most horrific thing that was shown in the episode. Not not even a top three. Third or fourth most. (laughs) But like everyone loves horses. You don't want to see a horse die. That thing got that thing got got. And your immediate reaction is, oh, shit, that thing got got. And is Ellie OK? And I think that is just sort of like that's the that's what they're going for. Then they earned it. They three point call the shot. Swish. No offense to Ellie, uh, but in the situation she's in, hunkered down for the winter while Joel is recovering from an injury. The first thing she should have done is shot that fucking horse and froze it out back. They still have rations like she was just getting to the point where that might have been necessary. You don't sacrifice a, a an animal especially as one as useful as it's a car it's like i better sell my car so i can buy some oatmeal you know come on <laughs> i mean if your option is staying put and starving to death or staying put and not starving to death you know what i mean i don't know why is your only option staying put you don't know 
get Joel good enough so they can go back to Tommy. That's what they should have goddamn done. Logic, logic. Um, so we get the first seat of the cage, the revelation. Ellie sees the ear on the ground, which was gross. Oh, uh, and, so gnarly. Dude. And we get the the revelation that they're eating people. David's like, oh, this food doesn't have doesn't have uh, a human. This is this is all deer. And I'm like, son of a bitch. I still kind of I still kind of believe you, which again, like a testament to the performance. Like, you are so earnest about that. I get no, 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 no way. There's no way. No, there's no way. He's lying. He's lying. He's lying. But uh, just just a moment of belief and getting a little bit more of the sense of like really weird pedophilic youth preacher energy where he's got his hand on the cage and he's looking at Ellie's hand on the cage and God damn, it's just so awful for so many reasons. And Ellie smart fucking kid and Bella Ramsey again, just, just absolutely crushing, like selling him what she wants him to hear so that she can get that hit in. And sort of confirm his own thesis about like her inherently violent nature and the fact that she's a leader, which is the second or third time now that we've heard that like clear breadcrumbs crumbs towards season two. Let's just talk. Let's just talk about this. Let's just talk about this. Ellie in The Last of Us Part One, the video game is a two dimensional joke machine NPC. She's not a fucking human being. She's wow, not a human. How being. reductive. And then in I'm sorry, she's not. She she is. Their relationship develops, but other than the one section in winter where we get to play as Ellie, she is literal digital cargo. And yes, we bond to her through the strength of like the voice, the voice and motion capture performances, the writing of the game, the fact that there hadn't been a narrative quite like this in a game before. It's great. It holds up. It stands up. Seven years pass. We get part two of that game, and that is a dramatically different Ellie we are willing to fill in the gaps as players because we are now controlling Ellie. We do not get that luxury on television. These are people. There has to be a clear progression from season one to season two of this show in order for Ellie to be able to go to the places that she has to go. Cause otherwise people are going to go, where the fuck did this come from? Like television audiences are not going to be forgiving of that massive heel turn that we see in part two just because of the events at the beginning. They're just not. They're not. Like, they're not. I'm sorry. They're not. And so the change to show Ellie as a more, like, potentially violent person to see how she becomes a lot fucking more like Joel through the course of this season, this episode hammered it right the fuck home with that awful, awful, awful kill of David with 21 slices of the machete in an unbroken shot that covers the camera in blood while she's screaming. And then her walking out of the lodge before she discovers Joel. EJ, I know you said that like kicked the legs out of that moment, but we've already had three disagree on this. We've already had three shots in this episode within the last 10 minutes of David having all of the keys to the fucking lodge. I'm sorry. Joel is not going to just get into that lodge. It doesn't make a goddamn bit of sense. And I would rather see Ellie finish this beat on her own stumble out into the snow and literally seconds later as an aside after having finished the job by herself still have the same beats with Joel in the snow after she said it's a small change that did not diminish the emotional impact for me yeah well I'm glad that you still enjoyed it well it more clearly moves her in the direction she needs to go I don't I don't what's your gripe with this that Joel doesn't fucking instant transmission no jutsu his way into a locked lodge that's on fucking fire and happen to hold her at the end of when and stop her from from the slashing. Like, 
What do you mean it takes the legs out from it? In a show that has already painted Joel's character as a softer, more emotional uh, individual, and they've painted Ellie's character as a more like sociopathic character with a fascination uh, with violence. I don't love that we didn't get the, the moment where, I mean, yeah, you talk about the logic of the scene, whatever, that's a shitty excuse. Like, maybe Joel could have thrown a rock through the giant bay windows and gotten in to the burning building to save the person that he's torturing men to find, you know, whatever. That logic could have been figured out in a better way. But the whole impact of that scene is that Ellie has completely lost control, rightfully so. You know, this fucking sicko crawling on top of her and saying these horrific things to her, and she just fucking snaps. And that it's Joel who who stops her. And, you know, not only be, that's important from like a, a father daughter moment, but also like the, the contrast of Joel also being this fucking murderous wacko having to be the one to bring Ellie back down and saying, it's okay, baby girl, whatever. Her just like, I mean, there are three things that made that kind of goofy. Her, you said 21 hits, going to town and then just being like, yep, I'm good now. When she stumbles out of the building, it just played kind of goofy to me. And then it was like, stage left, Pedro Pascal jumps in. I'm here. It's okay, baby girl. And then that performance where he's like holding her, it just didn't play to me because it wasn't the height of the emotion of her like losing control and attacking this guy. And then like literally being ripped out of that moment by Joel showing up and really startling her. She was just like, okay, I'm here. I am aware of my surroundings. I'm breathing again. And then like Joel sneaks up on her and it just, it didn't play for me. It kind of was a bummer of an ending for me. I mean, whatever you can litigate that all the live long day, but it's literally seconds later and she's in a uh, demonstrably in a state of shock. Joel still comes upon her and still surprises her. We still get the beat. Like she starts to fight immediately goes into the fight instinct and then calms down when she sees him. We still get a great moment with the two of them which is a little bit more unsure, which I loved of him holding her and going, oh my God, like this, this feels right. And then giving us the line. I thought it was well plotted out, like beat by beat. Like, (laughs) we won't agree. It's fine. But I just like, I, man. Yeah. I'm wondering if the other two people on this podcast have any thoughts whatsoever now that Chris has to leave at seven o'clock. So the pacing, as we've talked about, I thought the the finale was a little bit rushed. It was a little bit quick. I think they could have lasted just like a couple seconds longer. Get like a beat. Get like the get some audio technique. You know, get the ringing in Ellie's ears. Get like really sell that she's like totally in shock. She does not know what it just happened. Where she is. She's out. She's out of the building. Like you could have sold that more with her choking because that room is full of smoke at that point. I don't know how she's even breathing. That's like, fair. You could have, That's you could have had that moment. You could have then. I don't think you would want to cut to Pedro Pascal seeing Ellie, but you have to sort of, you have to tell the viewer that he sees her. You have to either like hear him like shout in the background, like, like Ellie, Ellie. And then you get him grabbing her and then you get that moment. And I think that would be an effective way to sell this because it is ridiculous that he would get into the lodge because they did set the seed with him flaunting the keys, David flaunting the keys and Ellie having that moment of power over another human being and taking that life and having it be such a visceral furious and upsetting thing that just happened. And it gives her the agency of defeating that situation that she found herself in resolving that conflict, the way she, that she did and then having the agency to escape that scenario, but not emotionally escape it until Joel is there to center her. And I think that could have been effective, but the way they did it 
ended up being a little bit quick and a little bit goofy. They get the hug and then it's immediately they walk towards a river. Like, I don't know what that establishing shot was of them walking away. Yeah, like, that was, was them weird. That leaving. was weird. And then I didn't love that ending. And I think that kind of, it kind of, it was a series of little stumbles on that. Would It could have been like a stick the landing, cut the black kind of thing. And it would have been really powerful. It could have been the like definitive moment through eight episodes of the show. And instead it was just like the quick little cap on this episode, that moment in the game that Chris has described over and over. And now I'm like, this is going to be like the emotional peak for me is seeing that is like, just destroys you in the game. It just, you just move right through it here. And now we're on to the finale. Like no one will ever think about that. Those final 40 seconds of this episode. I mean, th- that scene of her slashing the fuck out of David's face, people are going to forget because that was disgusting. And like you said, visceral, and it, 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 it makes you sick. But yeah, the moment with Joel, um, to me, should have been the highlight. And instead, it was just like, all right, we've technically accomplished what needs to be accomplished. It was rushed and it didn't have to be rushed. I don't know why they felt like they had to speed through it. Like, I don't know. It, yeah. it seemed like an unforced sort of error from my perspective. And it wasn't like bad. It still got the point across, but it could have been a lot better. Which is just sort of the running theme of the show. Little moments that sort of give you pause and pull you out. And you think like, man, they really set us up thinking they were going to like, they were going to really land this as being one of the you know greatest prestige shows. I mean, that is on us for even approaching that topic. Chris, you said that. I said that. I said that. I said that. Insert clips here. I think at this point, like to me, it's clear that like this is the one undoubtedly the best adaptation of a video game to the screen in any capacity of all time. And it's going to be the best show that's on television this year, period. Okay, EJ. Okay, you 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 go look through. You waste your time doing that. Luckily for me, this is what I get off on. But that's on us for getting like a little out of control. And then, you know, on the based on those first two episodes and then getting what is a perfectly serviceable show, but like not reinventing the wheel in any way other than it being a video game property done adequately, which is not like really a running thing with video game properties. If you think this is adequate, I I should show you the rest of TV. Jesus Christ. The the hyperbole on this podcast from myself and Mr. Olson. Brent, I got to get your takes though. There there have been plenty of moments where I just have been waiting for you to burst in here with your schlong swinging in the wind and you know, I know Nick was like kind of kidding, but I I am like, I just kind of, like I said earlier, I just kind of take the show and I, I roll with it. Like I'm not, I'm not any sort of like you, you edit videos. I don't know what the fuck you edit. Chris and I work in the industry. So we have a much different perspective (laughs) on, on these things, which is like to our detriment a lot of the time. (laughs) (laughs) No, for sure. I mean, it it makes it entertaining for me to watch, but it's it's just like, I I don't have those same thoughts. You said every episode has had a moment that gets you like, uh, you know, in your feelings on the couch. Was that the David moment at the end or did that come sooner? I mean, this one had a few of them. Yeah, it's, it's like, maybe it's just her performances when she like breaks his finger and then she says her says her name, and he's like, "Ellie's the name of the who that broke your fucking finger." <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like little chills down the spine. But just the way she completely loses control and twenty one slashes in the head, and yeah, I mean, I think personally, it it did its job. There wasn't anything to really gripe about, like you know, spending arguing for fifteen minutes on this one one spot, like. 
That doesn't that doesn't qualify that for me personally. Who would do that? Totally. But, Who would do that? No, but I, I you know, I think I'm more in, in the vein of agreeing with Chris than I am with EJ on this one. Well, that's been the Constant Crusade podcast. I my friends are now dead to me. <laughs> EJ, before in all seriousness, before we before we pivot out of this, EJ, I need to give you I need to give you some flowers. Uh, and that is that I was not in agreement with you after episodes four and five uh, with a lot of your gripes about specifically pacing of like, why do we have two episodes where we're spending time with these people? This one, I think episode eight did such a fucking good job in one episode of giving us all the context we needed of giving us all the information about this group plotted out masterfully in the writing and in the way that it was edited. We've talked about the sound. We talked about the performances that I look back on four and five now and go, I don't need two episodes of inferior work doing the same stuff that this did in one episode. I don't see why we needed two episodes for that shit anymore. The only thing, the only, only thing, and this is not me, I want to give credit to, to my buddy Nate here, who, as an aside, has become a regular listener on this podcast. Sorry, Nate. And has some opinions on uh, some takes here that may belong to uh, some people whose name starts with an E. Damn it, Ick! <laughs> <laughs> oh, Chris just got sent. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit, that was great. Um, uh, Nate pointed out that... Um, If we do that in one episode, in the first four episodes consecutively, we get Sarah dying, Tess dying, Bill and Frank suiciding, and Henry and Sam both dying. That's a fuckload in four episodes of television. And I get that it's a bleak show, but I think that if anything, that's the reason why they stretch that across two episodes. They did not execute it well. So I still have the same the same complaints, EJ. I share your no. complaints now in terms of the plotting, the pacing. I don't care about these people. I think that in hindsight, Melanie Liskey was absolutely not the person for this role, period, full stop. Uh, after seeing such better work from everybody else in this show, everybody else in this show, uh, even right. Storm Reed, even Storm Reed, who had a shitter of a script to work with in episode seven uh, as Riley, turned in a better performance than Kathleen did. But I wanted to give you those flowers that like, we don't need two episodes for this. If you're not going to execute it well, you're not going to put the right people in the right places. It's funny because I've like both praised the broad stroke pacing. Like they do a really good job of getting us out of a very intense episode and then giving us that that pressure release with something emotional, but not like action packed and, and super intense. And so like that's been really good episode to episode. The the opening with the husband and wife. Either it was two weeks ago. <laughs> yes. Right. Like I thought that was a really good sort of like tension relief, like just a quick little five, 10 minute interlude, establish where they are, establish the time skip. Right. And you're out. So they've gotten that pacing, I think, pretty dead on all the way through. It's just what comprises all of those moments is not necessarily the things that you would think that we would want to see uh, or things that I just outright don't care about. So it's, it's the details that they're getting hung up on. But overall, yeah, I think it, you know, even like I said, like, yeah, I want to spend 15 more minutes in winter seeing Ellie and Joel's relationship. And those 15 minutes could have easily been excised from, from left behind or Kathleen subplot, either or, or both. But like Nick, you, you said since day one, like if, if they ain't doing last of us part two in two goddamn seasons, you think they could add all this filler? I mean, think about it. Episode three of the show was 90% filler. 
with characters who did not matter to the plot at any point. And it was a great episode of television awesome. in, in, a, in a vacuum, but like it did not matter to this story. Man, you think they can't do that in Last of Us Part Two with that big of a cast and all these different factions? Because you bet your ass they're going to. Every single member of every every party, like everybody that you meet that has a name can get a bottle episode. Yeah, oh, stop it. Stop it. I'm not ready to confront this. That sounds I'm just saying that, that there's there's a lot of content that they can farm from that if they if they want to stretch it out. That would be good content as many as they want. If the goal is to get us to empathize with the people that we're hunting, that's that's good content thematically. If they do it well. If they do it well. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Is it going to be Kathleen or is it going to be David? That's the season 2 question. Right. But the thing is and this is what I've said since the beginning about again, we don't need to get too deep into this, but the last was part 2. What they did with David was they structured it. It was a mystery. We're wondering who these people are, how does he factor in, and the way that they led us through that while also making us understand David and those characters, and they they, they, they fed us these breadcrumbs of insight into who he is, that is what I mean when they say Last of Us Part 2, it does not need to be story A, story B, and then wrap it up at the end. It is, you give us Abby's, all of those people's storylines as these breadcrumbs. It's a mystery as to how it feeds into the characters that we do care about. And that's how you build it. And th- this is a perfect example from the cold open uh, to to the reveal that they have around the fire where it's just exposition. And how many times have I complained about just like exposition dumps on this fucking show? Show don't tell. That is how you do exposition well. It, it, it was a two-minute scene. They gave us just enough. They revealed a little bit of the sauce. And then we had a very intense character moment. And, and the way it pays off later, they've shown that they can do it. And it's just a matter of being consistent now and excising the fat or farming the fat because I think that's more likely. I don't think they're going to try and cut more to do one season. I, I don't mean fat from the game. I mean fat from the things they're adapting and how they're adapting it. You know what I mean? Because you can't argue that there hasn't been things that should should not have happened. So I'm hoping that they learn from their mistakes in this season. Dude, episode eight had the highest viewership of any episode of the show. This is unprecedented. 8.1 million. That's insane. 74% increase over the last episode. That doesn't happen ever, anywhere with television. Yeah. Viewership only goes down. It goes like this little crest, two, three episodes, and then it plummets. This is amazing how the word of mouth about the show. And it's going up again. It's going up again next week. What is what else is like out right now? That's like nothing. people watching. Nothing. Mandalorian just started. Like I said, What's nothing. That? Nothing. <laughs> okay. That's good. That's true. Book of Boba Fett season two. Oh, stop. Shut the fuck up. No, no. <laughs> no. Book of Boba Fett made Mandalorian seem like a very competent and entertaining show, despite being neither of those things. Season one was good. Uh, that yeah, that's hyperbole. I like Mandalorian. Mm, I I well, I don't want to say I liked it. I didn't. Okay, never mind. Pedro Pascal is a very compelling character actor. He is. Pedro Pascal is just a, a goddamn charming sweetheart. Even my grandma this morning, I woke up uh, and she talked about some episode she had recorded of the was it Graham Norton or something, and she said that Pedro Pascal very different in real life than the show. And I was like, yeah, you don't say <laughs> hardly even murdered Graham Norton. It's <laughs> the light bludgeoning. Yeah. He's just such a charming guy. <laughs> and that's probably also a big part of why the show is doing such great numbers is their ad campaign for this show being all about Pedro Pascal and marketing his personality and not actually marketing the show is brilliant. I've watched all of the videos. Yeah. That's star power. Good for, you know, good for him. 
at his age to to come out swinging like that. So anyway, that's a constant crusade. Thanks for uh, listening to us rant about this show, guys. And Nick, I love that little game we played. Um, we're gonna have to have Brennan on more often. You know, I guess we'll do every quarter. We'll do a wrap up. Yeah, uh, and we'll do another one of those. I presume. Hell yeah! But ooh, it's gonna be interesting. I know Bren's not feeling great right now, but uh, hey, listen, hey, hey, you know what? I'm in the lead, so I'll take it. Uh, I, I mean, in the actual league, oh, the game no, that no, matters. No, 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 no. <laughs> that's not what I. That's not what I'm talking about. He's gotta about. take his W where he can. I gotta take it where I can. <laughs> well, I'm gonna give it to you, baby. I felt like we had a little bit of a role reversal this week where I made my point, Chris made his point, and I was trying to kind of move off it, and Chris kind of was like, you're a fucking lunatic. I kind of like that little dynamic swap, dude.